CBDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. month of June, the Startup Women podcast will be taking a deep dive into LGBT plus entrepreneurship across Canada. What barriers exist for this community when starting a business? Who are some of the change makers in the LGBT plus entrepreneurship space? And what specific support does this community need? To facilitate these important discussions, we couldn't be more excited to welcome Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Entrepreneur and Partnerships at the Canadian Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce as our guest host. Welcome, Paige. Thank you, Kayla. I'm so excited that myself and the CGLCC have the opportunity to share the important stories of LGBT plus founders and provide resources for LGBT plus entrepreneurs across the country. This month on the Startup Women podcast, we'll connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations in Canada's LGBT plus startup space, giving you a firsthand look into the LGBT plus entrepreneurship landscape and helping LGBT plus founders make their vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization, and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I am your host, Paige Harlock, Manager of Youth Entrepreneur and Partnerships of the Canadian LGBT plus Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the show. All right, so we're thrilled to have Kaylee Gilchrist on our show today. Kaylee developed a passion for cooking plant-based meals after spending countless hours with her late mother in the kitchen. She spent time learning her mother's secret sauces and creating new plant-based meals of her own. Kaylee founded Nona Vegans Foods in 2013 as an ode to her late mother. Nona Vegan Foods provides dairy-free and gluten-free cream sauces that are a healthy and delicious alternative to traditional cream sauces. Nona started off as a home kitchen-operated brand and has since grown to a whole national brand, selling at stores such as Whole Foods. Kaylee's mission is to bring the nourishment and comfort of an Italian Nona to Canadian kitchens. Welcome to the show, Kaylee. It's so great to have you here. Woo! Thanks for having me. <laughs> I am so pleased that you're here. You're so wonderful. We've had a few times that we've got to meet, and it's always been such a great time. <laughs> I'll stop it. You too. <laughs> well, I wanted to start off by asking you, what's the most important thing you want the audience to take away from today's interview? Hmm. Um, well, let's see what I end up saying, but... Um... <laughs> A general, general thing, you know, starting a business is tough. Mm -hmm. So I always just say hook into networks and communities of other entrepreneurs um, and other tools that are out there that help small business. Um, Mm -hmm. It can get really lonely. So just don't go it alone. And how have you dealt with that? You said it's really lonely. How has it kind of manifested in your life? Yeah, for sure. Like it, I mean, 
you know, I've got some really awesome friends that have mm-hmm. stuck with me through it all. Um, even on days where I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm canceling for the 19th time. But if you want to come help me label jars in the kitchen at 2am, we can hang out and you know, they do. Um, Amazing. Great friends. <laughs> I've got some of the best um, for sure. But yeah, I definitely I reach out to so many communities. I started a vegan entrepreneur community with like vegan entrepreneurs in Toronto, um, started with like two of us and now has over 200 across Canada. What? That's amazing. Yeah, it's called VegCan. If there are any vegan businesses that would like to join, it's uh, just, you know, support like, hey, where are you getting your raw cashews these days, folks kind of questions. (laughs) And it's just nice to not feel that that Mm -hmm. entrepreneurial loneliness. Do you kind of meet regularly and just have zoom sessions i guess now that we're in a pandemic <laughs> yeah I mean, we uh no not really we kind of we did a couple dinners pre-pandemic and mm-hmm. a couple meetups and stuff but it's more just right now it's it kind of ebbs and flows based on my busyness level you know right. sometimes when i have a lot of um time to to put into it we'll be a little more active and then other times i just take a step back because i'm just so swamped and um so yeah right now it's mostly just chatting online. That's wonderful. And I feel like at a time like this, very needed to just have those supports, find a new network, be able to meet people that are going through a very similar thing as you. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Would you mind taking us on a journey from working in the food industry to becoming an entrepreneur? I mean, I know I kind of touched on this in the beginning, but why did you launch Nona Vegan Foods? Yeah, so it's it is an ode to my mom, like you said. I grew up. Oh, we were I, we were both foodies, always in the kitchen, singing, dancing, creating food. She was like making cashew sauce back in the seventies before anyone had heard of that. Um, such a such an early adapter to the vegan thing. Um, <laughs> adapter, adopter. I always screw that one up. Um, anyway, she <laughs> both of them work. Yeah, adapter. Um, <laughs> So I, she passed away my final year of university. I was at Guelph for theater. Um, And then I moved to Toronto and I was working at a health food store. So I was really, you know, getting even more into the industry. And, um, and I saw this gap in the market. Nobody was doing vegan plant-based sauces. No one had like creamy cheese kind of things. Cashew cheese wasn't a thing yet. And, uh, I was like, hey, I have the perfect recipe and I was cooking a ton because I was, you know, grieving the loss of my mother and trying to feel close and connected to her and cooking was how I did that. So, yeah, I was working in the in the store and I was kind of thinking these thoughts and and a customer came up to me one day and said, hey, is there such thing as like a vegan gluten free, you know, Alfredo sauce? Like, why does that exist? Like they literally asked for the thing I had been thinking of and I just without really thinking, I kind of just said automatically, nope, but I'm working on it. And uh, my boss was like, are you now? (laughs) Is that something you planned on telling me? Uh, apparently starting a sauce business um so it just really it came out in that moment but it had been a lot of of thought kind of before that but it was just uh that's the moment that I really went all in on it amazing as somebody who truly loves an alfredo sauce I have tried your sauces before and it's so good it's so good yeah (laughs) I I came here to say (laughs) yeah you're leading like you're like oh such an alfredo connoisseur I'm like oh no what do you say (laughs) No, it was it? so good. So good. And I make Alfredo, not the vegan kind at home all the time. So I was like, well, I have to try it because I've met you. And I was like, I love Alfredo sauce. So go for it. <laughs> and honestly, delicious. And every person I meet that's a vegan 
I'm like this, try this. I know that you'll love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Yeah, we really like, you know, pride ourselves on being close to the traditional or just like, you know, bring in that same mouthfeel, that same richness, that Mm -hmm. same like creaminess of a traditional cream sauce. Um, But, you know, it's vegan. So if you're lactose intolerant, it's great. If you just want to try something, if you just don't feel like making your own and you also don't feel like buying like bottled Classico, then like, you know, we're a good, good option. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's, it's delicious. And congratulations on starting this whole thing. I can't believe it just came from somebody asking you and you're like, well, I'll just do it on my own. I'm making it. <laughs> yeah. Me. I'm, that's, I'm doing that now. Thank you. <laughs> And you have more than one sauce, right? How many have, do you have right now that you've created? We currently have three. Oh. And I just submitted some plans to some retailers and some distributors for the next two to be released in November. So fun. That's quite soon. I know. Well, I've been working on them in the background. Um, can't announce the flavors yet, but stay tuned. Fine. They're going to be great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we currently have three. So I started with the Alfredo. Right. And then in year two, I added cheesy style. That's orange colored with mm-hmm. carrot juice, kind of mac and cheese classic mm-hmm. um, can be used as a queso as well. And then year three or four, I forget, but I added a smoky bacony carbonara. Oh, I haven't tried that one. Oh, you got to get it. It's got like a red uh, packaging. It's very popular with, with, you know, lots of people, but especially folks who like bacon and you like mm-hmm. that kind of smoky, meaty, peppery taste. Um, it's great on Brussels sprouts and portobello mushroom caps, that kind of stuff. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. I honestly, <laughs> I'm not very creative. So when I see a pasta <laughs> sauce, I'm like, great, it goes on pasta. I, I did. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And that's what like, I have an awesome person running our Instagram, Fally, and, and she's really helped to make it, you know, more than just a pasta sauce. Mm. We're good on veggies, we're good on rice, risotto, mashed potatoes, like there's like so much you can do with it. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're trying to showcase that more and more. I mean, of course, pasta, like I'm Italian. I put everything on pasta, but (laughs) not everybody's, not everybody's thing, I guess. (laughs) It should be though, because pasta is delicious. So agreed. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that all of your sauces are vegan and plant-based eating has become quite popular now, but there's still kind of a stigma surrounding vegan and plant-based alternatives to really popular foods like Alfredo. What is Nona doing to increase customer awareness and kind of maintain that customer interest? You kind of touched on that a little with your Instagram and kind of showing what else you can do, but is there anything outside of that? Yeah. I mean, like it's a really great time. When I started eight years ago, I would be talking to folks and they'd say, you know, vegan, glutton-free, I don't understand. And I'd be like, no, it's it's vegan, gluten-free. You know, I'd really like try to not hide the vegan because I'm called known a vegan, but, um, (laughs) you know, I'd try to just be like, hey, try this delicious thing before kind of revealing that it was <gasps> vegan. And so, but, you know, the flavor really speaks for itself, if mm. that's, you know, not too conceited to say, but people will, <laughs> when pre-COVID, when we could actually stand in the store and hand out samples or go to a food show or something, mm-hmm. folks would come up and, you know, hmm and ha over trying, I'm like, just try it. You don't have to like it. I won't be offended, you know, whatever. And they try it and they'd all, like almost always be shocked by how good it was. And so that I think is really helping to reduce any residual stigma on the, Mm -hmm. on the vegan plant-based thing. Um, But 
society right now at large, you know, thanks Beyond Meat, thanks hashtag Meatless Mondays, thanks all those documentaries that are coming out that are making it just a more known thing. And I think almost everybody that I speak to, even in like, you know, my dad's generation, I never thought he's such a meat and potatoes from the farm kind of guy. And he, he and I went to A&W. He's like, I think I'll try that beyond meat one. I saw it in a commercial. I'm like, okay, pops, whatever. <laughs> sure. Um, so Go I think it's it. really, yeah, you do you. Um, so yeah, I think it's really starting to reach, you know, it's, it's so much less niche now. And even if somebody's not fully vegan. They just like to do plant-based more often. It's, you know, it's about maybe not having meat and dairy and eggs at every single meal kind of thing, which was definitely past, you know, North American traditional way of eating. Um, so I think it's, it's society is coming along and, and, um, the awareness is there and then we just help out by being delicious. Yeah. <laughs> the product speaks for itself. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much. You mentioned going into stores and giving out samples. Is that something you miss now that we can't really do that anymore? That human connection piece? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would try to also like hire people to do that because I'm only one person and we're sold at like over close to 400 stores now, I think across Canada. So yeah, I couldn't you do that. Get to 400 stores. <laughs> That's easy. I mean, <laughs> I did drive across the country last year and, uh, but you know, um, but yeah, no, I really miss, I really miss shows, especially mm-hmm. like they would just wreck me. I would have what I would call show hangover, not from drinking, um, but just from working so hard over a weekend at like a food festival. Mm -hmm. I miss, I totally miss interacting with customers one-on-one and just seeing their reactions and hearing their feedback and, and seeing their families and, you know, like, oh my gosh, you know, child of mine, come try the sauce (laughs) and the kids love it. And it's just like, oh, I miss it. Yeah. I feel like everybody's kind of missing that, that human connection piece. And when you're so used to it, it's just such a a big void, especially when it has to do with your business as well. (laughs) Totally, totally. But I was also, you know, I'm such an extrovert and I love face-to-face events and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I would almost over do it to the detriment of like getting my accounting work done and stuff. So this year, you know, I just kind of took it as, you know, I'm going to miss this. It's sad. It will be back probably in a very different form, but at some point it will be back. Um, And for now I can take this opportunity, all this extra time and energy and focus more internally on Mm -hmm. operations and just really cleaning things up and building the base really strong before we jump off into our next level of growth. So in that way, it was, it was also kind of a nice opportunity. And I know you're getting new sauces and you're expanding into the U S if I'm allowed to say that. (laughs) You are. It's happening. (laughs) How have you found scaling your operations, sales, all that kind of stuff that comes with making your business bigger and creating new sauces and meeting new people? Totally. I mean, I'm definitely relate more to being a kind of throw my hat over the fence and then figure out how to go get it kind of Mm -hmm. person, Mm -hmm. which I think entrepreneurs sort of should be at least in the early years, because otherwise, you know, you just get caught in constant planning. And then if you're very risk averse, which I am not should be a little more risk averse, (laughs) but um, then, you know, you can just get caught in planning. But at the same time with scaling, I've really learned that often I have to scale my operations before I can scale the sales part of things. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little bit more of a build it and they will come kind of situation with scaling Mm -hmm. because like 
certain big grocery retailers, for example, need very specific food manufacturing requirements. And Mm -hmm. I subcontract my manufacturing right now in in the industry. It's called the co-packer. So I've I've been through quite a few co-packers and self-production. In eight years of business, I've been two self-producing kitchens, four co-packers. So yeah, it's definitely (laughs) been my biggest pain point is production, stable and scalable Mm -hmm. production. But for getting ready for bigger sales, getting ready for the U.S., getting ready for scaling um, and pitching to you know national retail chains, mm-hmm. I had to get all that kind of all those ducks in a row before I could go on with the sales. And then I brought on a sales broker to help me when we went Canada wide national um, because again, you know, I did go, my partner and I went and lived in Vancouver for six months last year so that I could be on the ground floor growing those sales. But mm-hmm. I am just one person and it's a very large country and I can't do it all. So my sales broker uh, is really awesome and helpful in that. And you mentioned that you weren't very risk adverse. What would you say is kind of the riskiest thing in business that you have done? <laughs> no need to tell me anything outside of that. <laughs> Thanks for that parameter. Um, (laughs) Riskiest thing in business. I mean, starting it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, What have I? Well, I definitely, you know, my original brand company name was called Soul to Bowl Sauces. Mm -hmm. And I just went all in on it. And I got all these, you know, as all in as I could with a startup budget, but, you know, I got all my labels and stickers and table decorations and this and that. And then I got a cease and desist letter from a a restaurant out West who had a menu item name that was similar. I don't know. It was very confusing. And it was just, I, I did some name due diligence, but I didn't do enough before going all in. And then I had to, you know, throw all that stuff out and get some money together and start again. But I did. Um, and, uh, and that must have been heartbreaking. Yeah, it really was. Sold a bowl sauces. Sold a bowl was something my mom and I came up with together one day when we were brainstorming, like maybe we'll have a mother daughter restaurant one day. So it was like very near to my heart. But mm-hmm. Nona is also, I you know, I think it was ultimately a good thing. It's a better, better brand name, more memorable. Um, and my mom always wanted to be a vegan nonna. Like, she's like, how hilarious. I'll be like the first vegan nonna ever because nonnas are always like, you know, eat your prosciutto. Like, they're not like <laughs> vegan. And so um, calling it nonna vegan was a good was a good thing in the end. But um, just things like that or, you know, taking on huge loans and and not, <laughs> you know, I don't know, just, just always throwing my hat over the fence. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I said yes to Whole Foods in the middle of a rebrand before I had a co-packer secured. I just said, yeah, for sure. We'll do it. But I did say, you know, give me three months to get my stuff together. Mm -hmm. And I just had to figure it out. And that was, that was a very stressful, but wonderful launch. It was like the night before I was labeling again at at the kitchen, 2am overnight labeling Mm -hmm. sauce had come out like slightly grittier than I wanted. And I was bawling and it was just like, why did I promise this in three months? Like this was an un, like why, but it, it worked. We launched, people loved it. And we're, we've been in whole foods ever since. So I think sometimes my riskiness pays off. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) (laughs) Was whole foods like the first kind of big step into large retailing or was it kind of along the line a little bit more? 
Yeah, no, they were. They definitely came on way earlier than I thought. Um, that was another risky thing. Yeah, now they're now it's all. I was like, what? I say I'm risky. What have I done? But <laughs> but yeah, in my first year of business, I signed up for like the biggest trade show in our industry, which is the Canadian Health Food Association trade show in Canada, and. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea. I, I had this brand that I knew I had received the cease and desist letter, went to the show as soldable sauces, knowing I had to change it, like didn't know what I was like. It just, and those shows are expensive and the return on investment, like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, they're great. I don't, not to offend them at all, but um, mm -hmm. because they bring you by like big buyers, right? Mm -hmm. So hopefully you get your return on investment if you talk to the right people and they like your product, but you're not selling at the show. So it's like, not an immediate, it's not like a food show where you're selling right. sauce. It's, but I was so lucky that, that, um, yeah, we had, I guess we had maybe like 20 stores at the time, a couple just like Toronto stores. We didn't have, I don't think we even had a distributor yet. I think I was still driving them around a roller, I would rollerblade them around with a backpacking backpack. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> the yeah, most effective way to get around. <laughs> you know, it was exercise and fun and free. <laughs> I didn't have a car at the time. So, right. you know, um, yeah, I had no business of being at that show, but that's where we met Whole Foods. So yeah, they were definitely our first big bigger retailer that came on board for people that are kind of starting out specifically in the, the food business. Is that a suggestion of a place they could start? Is it kind of a good place to go to these Canadian kind of expos? Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, with COVID, I don't know how that's changing. The virtual ones that I've been to so far have not necessarily been as fruitful. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's early years, everyone's trying to pivot and figure it out to no fault of theirs. But um, yeah, I definitely think going to an industry in no matter what industry you're in, if you're in mm -hmm. fashion, going to a fabric trade show I don't know you know like trade you can find a trade that. show <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think trade show, industry trade shows are a great way to meet those buyers because you know you start and you're like how the heck am I going to talk to shoppers drug mart or whatever the thing whatever your kind of big dream is and for me that actually was whole foods like I had written whole foods in my like five-year plan 10-year plan and got them like I met them in the first, in the first year and started with them in my second year. So yeah, it's, it can be a little hit or miss, I guess, but if, mm. I definitely think that's a good thing to take a chance on. Awesome. And I guess because you are moving into the U S and taking a chance on the U S market, are you doing kind of, what are you doing in the U S are you allowed to tell us how are the international markets going for you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we, right now we just started shipping like single skids to an online retailer in the States veganessentials.com um, and mm -hmm. they sell us online now. So that was kind of just our initial like foray, you know, like testing mm -hmm. how does the customs broker work? How does shipping across the border, cold shipping work? You know, yeah. how's the American market going to respond to the product? So it's been just a really nice kind of gentle intro for mm -hmm. us. And then I've been working a bit behind the scenes with somebody in the States who has way more knowledge of the stores than I do, which is Thank goodness, because my product is definitely for a lot of people, but you know, it's, it's a little more premium priced. It's not going to sell in like, I don't know, no frills, for example, wouldn't be the best place for it. So I can talk to Emily in the States and say, 
you know, this store is interested, is that a good account? And she can kind of give me that, that feedback. Um, so right now we're just doing very initial sort of like, where's the most sensible place to start? I don't think we're going to go across the States in one, uh, in one go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that would be, be very a lot expensive. Of <laughs> yes. And, uh, we're still quite small. So that would be like a massive, scale up. So we're going to, I think we're going to start regionally, um, probably stick to, you know, what's closest to us here in Ontario to start, maybe then go to the West coast. Cause that makes sense market wise. Um, yeah. So we'll see, stay tuned. I'm hoping end of this year, early next year for us rollout. Wow. Wow. That's so sweet. And then maybe you'll get to go there and yes. visit a bunch of the States, which would be amazing. Well, that's my plan. Yeah. My partner and I like are wanting to do the slow travel thing. And so we're like, let's just go live in Brooklyn for six months while we get sales going, um, in New York. Yeah. Yeah. May as well make a whole trip out of it. Meet some <laughs> yeah. new people. I'm in full support. So Thank you. I don't know if you needed that or not, but I support you. <laughs> So validated. Thank you. (laughs) So I kind of want to shift our focus to more of the LGBTQ plus entrepreneurs and starting a new business is a huge step for literally anybody who's doing it. Um, But many queer and marginalized entrepreneurs often overcome even bigger barriers. Can you describe Nona Vegan's Foods Partnership with the CGLCC and why you launched the Diverse Business Bursary to provide resources to BIPOC and LGBT plus entrepreneurs? Also, congratulations on launching the Diverse Business Bursary. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm so excited about that. I've always, you know, with Nona, I've always wanted to get to a point where we can start giving back. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, this is a, it's a small token. It's a first step, um, but it feels really meaningful to me personally. So we are providing two different businesses with a free diverse business or a diverse supplier certification. Mm -hmm. So it'll either be with the CGLCC or with CAMC for either um, Black, Indigenous, person of color business or LGBTQ plus business. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got a few applications so far, so we're going to try to do it annually as well and hopefully be able to offer more than more than two next year. You know, we'll see mm-hmm. where we are. So I became a diverse supplier hmm, last year, 2019, I guess I did the CGLCC out for business youth program, mm-hmm. which was awesome. I met a wonderful mentor who I'm still really close with, and I met all these other incredible queer entrepreneurs and um, did a trade mission with the CGLCC, mm. did a pitch competition. It was- uh... And you won the pitch competition, did you not? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if I didn't want to be like, I won their pitch competition. <laughs> Fine, I'll do it for I you. Did. I'll do your own, your Thank horn. You. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, no. So, I mean, the CGLCC, for me, like, I have a lot of privilege. I'm white, cis, I'm often mistaken as straight. So it, like, it's my experience as a queer entrepreneur. I recognize that it's very different than what other folks are facing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've had, there's a, I mean, there's a ton of sexism in most industries, I'd say, but in my industry, that has been a huge barrier for me as well. But I get comments like, you know, you better find a rich husband and, you know, just things that kind of, I'm, (laughs) I pride myself on being a good relationship builder in business and, you know, things like that. And then the whole conversation, I'm thinking like, do I come out to this 
man who I'm trying to sell sauce to, like it feels, it kind of just, so for me, my, my struggles with it have, have been there, but they've, Mm -hmm. you know, I just know that there are other folks in, in our community that, you know, struggle in, in, in ways that I can't even imagine. So it feels really important to me to offer that support. And, you know, I heard about the CGLCC so many years ago, and I looked into becoming a diverse supplier so many years ago, but mm-hmm. I literally had, I don't know, like a hundred bucks in my bank account at the time. And the, you know, the membership, it's not outrageously expensive, but it's a few hundred bucks for each mm-hmm. one. And I, I was like, I just, you know, I wish I could, but I can't. So my hope is that I'll reach, you know, that kind of person and be able to just give them a leg up in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you chose CAMC or CGLCC to kind of do the diverse certification through. Why certification? Like what was your deciding factor in choosing this particular avenue? I mean, I think so much of you know, I, I, I do donate to a lot of other causes that are, that are doing amazing grassroots things. Um, mm-hmm. For me, because I'm a business owner and an entrepreneur, and I talk to so many entrepreneurs, I get people, you know, emailing me maybe even once a week just to have a, like a, a like, Hey, can I pick your brain kind of call? I've got a one pager pre-typed that I send to everybody. Like, I just, I really care about like, mentoring the next generation of entrepreneurs and helping out because people helped me out. And so it feels important in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can get, you know, more diversity in the supply chain in business, um, you know, then supporting those communities, I think doing that through business to me really makes sense in my, in my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, looking as I got more into working with the CGLCC and learning more about CAMSI as well, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, these organizations are doing a great job. And the diverse supplier certification means that, you know, these entrepreneurs might get to meet with buyers that they otherwise might be totally overlooked from. And these big corporations are finally um, starting to have some diversity mandates, which means that they are kind of forced to include some diverse suppliers. And so, you know, if you're certified, like, great, that's extra, extra kind of points, I guess, like Mm -hmm. literal points if you're doing an RFP, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, so that's, that's kind of where I was coming at from that. Mm -hmm. It just felt like an important way to grow the business community, um, and support diversity in business. For sure. And to your point about kind of the larger businesses, a lot of them are looking at bringing in more diverse suppliers, which is amazing. And in Canada, it's not really kind of a a big thing that happened in the past. I mean, in the US, they have a lot of policies um, that force companies to purchase from diverse suppliers. But Mm -hmm. in Canada right now, there's no policies enforcing that. Um, So I mean, thank goodness for these large companies that are actually saying like, no, we're going to focus on this and we're going to bring in diverse suppliers. Um, so it's been kind of nice to see that from the CGLCC side, there's quite a few more uh, companies looking to do that, which is great, which means we can put folks like you in contact with people that can give your product to to more people and help you out. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited about the future of diversity in business in Canada, for sure. Because I agree when I even on our trade show in in the States, I was like, wow, this is just kind of baked in into a lot of these corporate policies in a way that like is is good in, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a way that it's like, oh, they just always need this percentage of diverse 
suppliers. And, you know, it's maybe too bad that it has to be mandated in that way, but it does. And so, you know, let's do it and let's make that a priority. Um, Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm glad they are making it a priority because it honestly needs to happen. And I feel a lot of folks get overlooked um, just based on who they are as humans, which is truly outrageous. Totally. Or that, I mean, businesses so often connections at such, you know, my industry is like, it's such a boys club. It's mm-hmm. like, I walked through a trade show one day, more of like a restaurant one. And it was literally all white men. And I was, I can't, I got to the end of the hallway and I actually had to go in the bathroom and like have a little cry. Cause I was like, what is, why, what is, why, huh? Like mm-hmm. I was just, I can't, I can't believe that that is, you know, I can, you know, of course. <laughs> We can all believe it. We can all believe it. Systemic racism is a thing. And and, uh, all of the, you know, homophobia is real and all the things, transphobia, you know, so we can, I can believe it, but it's just, it's time for that to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when we're in, I mean, I'm a queer woman. So when I'm in a scenario where there's just a lot of straight white men and you don't see yourself represented, it's it's hard and it's hard to kind of feel like you have a seat at the table. I don't know if you felt that way as well, but totally. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. It's tough, but it's changing, hopefully. So <laughs> hopefully we can uh, keep that going. I guess what I do want to focus on, you started uh, this company young. I mean, it was eight years ago that you started it um, while you were in your 20s. What resources has helped your business along the way? Um, and where should specifically LGBTQ plus youth look to start or scale their business? My initial sort of institution, I guess I would call it, um, support was with Futurepreneur, who was called Canadian Youth Business Foundation when I started with them, but they're now Futurepreneur. And they, you know, were the first people who didn't turn me down for a loan, who, you know, got me a mentor, my first mentor, Angela, who was fantastic, Um, a community, you know, they had galas we could go to and meet other young entrepreneurs. Um, Mm -hmm. They helped me write my first business plan. So for sure to any young entrepreneur, and they're very inclusive, they're not Mm -hmm. specific LGBTQ plus, but they're very inclusive, or at least they were when I worked with them. Um, And yeah, they're great futurepreneur. And then, I mean, the out for business program at CGLCC, a thousand percent go Mm -hmm. do that. Like that is such a great program. I met my other mentor, Patty there, who I've mentioned. Patty's great. (laughs) The best. I know. (laughs) Literally such a wonderful human. So grateful uh, to have her support in my life and my business. But yeah, the out for business program, I would for sure suggest that. And just, you know, like, I think you have to apply for that still, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't get in, you know, still stay in touch with the CGLCC, try again, like there, the CGLCC Mm -hmm. is a great resource and, you know, growing and and, uh, getting better every day. I feel like I hear about a new initiative that the CGLCC is doing and I'm like, yes, so proud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also shared co-working spaces were a thing for me. There was one in Toronto called Chico System that I used to work out of uh, when I was in Vancouver. I hooked up with the Hervana co-working space. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Make Lemonade. Um, When I got back to Toronto, I joined Make Lemonade here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just just hooking into that community. There's also Start Proud here. Uh, That's another good resource for LGBTQ plus businesses or business folks. Mm -hmm. And then 
if you can't find the community, like I couldn't find vegan entrepreneurs in Toronto. So I, so I made it. So start it if you can, <laughs> if you you know, if you can't find it, make it. That's what I would right. say. So <laughs> you did with your sauce. That's what you did with the vegan food community. <laughs> yeah. Can't find that's it. So made it. Do. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's awesome. It, were there any like networking events that you would suggest folks going to, or maybe just a, a hub that they can go to for those types of resources? Startup Canada. Actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's sincere plug. It's not I'm not <laughs> silly. Yeah, I think there are the city of Toronto was one mm. of the first places. Again, this was 2013. I just marched down to City Hall to get my business incorporation documents. Like I did everything in person. I'm so old school. And I just like pulled all their pamphlets and I was like, Ooh, where can I access resources? You know, I imagine they still have that in person. Well, maybe not with COVID pending, but they must have that online somewhere now. So they, they, at least when I started, were a really great resource of kind of just consolidating a lot of that info. I think that Startup Canada does that now as well. And then specific, you know, specific industries have specific associations. So we have the Canadian Health Food Association, um, Plant-Based Foods Council, Canadian women in food. This is all like, these are all networks that I'm part of in my industry. So I would just urge people to look in their specific industries and they probably have something. Probably. I feel like there's a group for most things now. And if you can't find it, make it. Yeah. <laughs> is what I've learned. <laughs> Someone smart must have told you that one. <laughs> and I guess the, the last question I want to ask you, Kaylee, is what can our audience take away from today's conversation and implement in their business kind of immediately? Like, what are those tangible steps they can take right now if they're feeling a little stuck? I mean, I don't know if I mentioned it in today's conversation. I guess I did. Yeah. My main thing that I really had airtight from the minute I started, and it's Mm -hmm. the reason I'm still around eight years later, is knowing my why. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that's a popular thing. What is your why? Um, Simon. Simon. Simon Yeah. 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 Um, So that watch that Ted talk and (laughs) figure out your why, Um, you know, for me, it was about my mom. So that is so personal. And Mm -hmm. um, but it was also about nourishing people with good food. Like it was about carrying on her legacy of nourishing people with good food. So that and creating an inclusive community, um, inclusive kitchens, that kind of stuff is really what drives me. So entrepreneurship, yeah, there are days where, or there are weeks where every day in the week I've thought about giving up. I've thought about stopping, but if you have a really strong why that's what pulls you back, like, like literally write it out so that you can read it as a statement, you're having a tough go. And then the other thing is just basically get support, seek those resources, those communities, networking, um, all of that kind of stuff. There, There's a lot out there. Um, and I always say you get out what you put in. So we, when my partner and I went to the CGLCC, the very first info session on the Out for Business program, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to apply, I'm going to get in and I'm going to give it everything I got. Like, and I just like, and I was like, and I'm going to just commit to like giving the CGLCC thing the best go I can. And it's given me back so much. Like it's such mm-hmm. a wonderful 
wonderful place that I feel so welcome and supported. So yeah, I think really like when you're when you're stuck, like reach out for resources, connect to community and remember your why. That's great advice. And if I remember <laughs> correctly, you have a vision board as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> Certainly do. I love that. I remember you showed <laughs> one of the meetings we were in a while ago, and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, you got to keep that stuff for me anyway. I have to keep it. I have my vision board and I have my win board too, where, where my partner and I write our wins that we've, you know, it can be something small. Like if you're having a bad day, maybe your win that day is having a shower, drinking some water. You know, it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be moving mountains kind of stuff, but sometimes. It's launched into a new twelve-store chain in BC. Woohoo! Or yeah. you know, <laughs> got a got a loan. Yay! Um, so having our wins up is also just really motivating to be like, okay, I've come so far, and celebrating wins is important. Yeah, I have a lot of have a lot of boards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made a lot of boards, and to your point, I mean, it's it's easy to see all of these businesses make these huge moves, but it's hard to remember that there's going to be times where the best you can do is have a shower and send an email, right? And mm-hmm. I think being an entrepreneur or just being a human in general, you have to remember that not every day is going to be expanding into the US and not every day is going to be getting a contract with Whole Foods that there are going to be some of those tougher days, right? Yeah. Some days it's just like, okay, if I can allocate some of these bookkeeping expenses into the right QuickBooks bookkeeping thing, then I've you know succeeded for the day um, for sure. And I lied when I said that was my last question, but <laughs> I um, I know that you've said you're spending more time on doing kind of the smaller details because relationship management is where you put a lot of your energy before. Um, but now you're focusing on the smaller things because of the pandemic and, and other things. As an entrepreneur, you're not going to be good at everything. How did mm-hmm. you build up those other expertise and how did you kind of figure out what you needed to do and be a little bit of a, an expert at everything. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in the first few years, I was pretty egotistical, to be honest, and thinking I could do everything on my own. Mm-hmm. Like, I was good at seeking community. But as far as like, running the business, I was like, Ugh, I can't bother training somebody. I'm just better at it. Like, I definitely had a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's ridiculous. Because I'm <laughs> wrong. So silly, so young, so silly. Um, but I eventually learned, okay, I need help and I need to just trust them. And it doesn't always work out and that's okay. And I can forgive people. Um, but uh, was it last year? Yeah, I had been getting like people here and there, kind of friends, friends of the family, friends of friends to kind of help me with some financial stuff. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything concrete. And then I made the choice to pay more money than I had ever paid for somebody to come in and be a contract CFO for a while and just like get my stuff in shape. And they did. And it was such a good decision. And it also just made me start thinking and taking that part of the business a little more seriously. Um, and I learned a ton from from them. Yeah, it's it's like a jack of all trades, master of none situation, mm-hmm. I think. Like I have the things that I know I'm good at, you know. So for me, starting in business, I love sales, I love relationship building, and I love 
making the recipes. I do not love running day-to-day production. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that I tried to outsource and, and did and still do. But I have other friends in the industry who started and they love the production stuff. Like that's their jam. They hate sales. So their first sort of hire was a sales broker or manager Mm -hmm. or person, something like that. So for, I think it just, you got to know what you are really good at and love and then outsource as much as you can or hire for the, for the other roles in your, in your company. I truly didn't know you could just hire a contract CFO position to just help you get everything in order. That sounds like an amazing idea. (laughs) Yes. It's a whole business. They're called the CFO center. And, um, I met Paul, at a trade thing that I was doing, um, the trade accelerator program, Mm -hmm. um, with the world trade center. And yeah, it's a great company. Highly recommend. I really appreciate you taking the the time to do this, Kaylee. Thank you again. I really appreciate you. I can't wait to see you again. I'm sure we'll cross paths again soon. No, thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. I like talking about business, not in my fake it till I make it phase anymore feels good. <laughs> yeah. Well, your eighth anniversary is what on June 14th. Yeah. That's truly amazing. Eight years is awesome. So congratulations. I'm forever in awe by all that you do. <laughs> Aw, thank you so, so much. And I appreciate you and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you. You too. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. To plug into the Startup Canada network, visit www.startupcan.ca. And to learn more about LGBTQ plus entrepreneurship across Canada, visit www.cglcc.ca. Until next time, I'm Paige Harla. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the full potential of women.